Welcome to Under the Moon Tower, a podcast where we delve into Austin's unique people and places beyond what you might find on a city's top 10 list. Welcome to Under the Moon Tower, everyone. We've got a super fun guest with us today. I had connected with a good friend of mine, Elena, recently, and she had said, you've got to connect with my neighbor and friend. He's a firecracker. He's got a story to tell. And so I did. And that's why we're we're really here today. Anne and I are so excited. Our guest has had his sticks on the drum since he was 10, and he's been professionally making music since the late 1950s. He's played all genres, though you may know him most predominantly from his time with the band Los Texas Tornadoes. In his 60-plus year musical career, he's done it all. He's performed and produced locally and globally with notable artists like Willie Nelson, Bonnie Raitt, Delbert McClinton, and a litany of other powerhouses. He's been a two-time Grammy Award winner, performed on SNL and Solid Gold, among other TV appearances. He's had his music featured in film. He's taught aspiring drummers nationally, and he's also an active advocate in the local philanthropic sector for organizations that support musicians. And to top it all off, he just celebrated his 80th birthday at Stubbs. He has a local residency in town, and he's releasing an autobiography. So holy smokes, we've got a lot to cover today. It's our pleasure to introduce Ernie Darawa, thanks so much for having us to your home, Ernie, and for chatting with us today. Thanks for being here. Really nice to have you here. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) You really did some research on that, didn't you? We did. (laughs) A lot of it's on my website, too. Yeah, Yeah, we were looking at all the different drum articles and all the stories, the Austin Chronicle story. There's just so much in the fabric of your life. So I guess, you know, you you make it to 80 and you did something, right? I mean, you, you better by that time, you know. Um, we are so happy to be here, Ernie. And again, thank you for sharing your time and your energy with us today. I had the pleasure of listening to Ernie play in person this week at his residence at El Mercado backstage on Tuesdays. And if you get the chance to go, I highly recommend it. I took my husband and my two boys. We had a lot of fun. I remember that. Yes. And I, well, it was really fun when Carrie told me that Elena had connected her with you. Because I said, Carrie, I grew up listening to those Texas tornadoes with my dad. My dad would drive me to school in the morning and he would play your music. And hey, baby, que paso sticks in your brain. Um, For listeners who have not heard uh, Ernie's music yet, I wanted to read you a quote from his website just to give you a little um, insight. And after I read this, Ernie, I hope you'll explain it and then just talk a bit about your musical journey, how it started, the highlights, sure. and and like what you're looking forward to next. You're super, super inspirational. So this quote from your website, in an eerie surrealistic mm-hmm. dream about this drummer, he is laid out on an autopsy slab and sliced open by a medical examiner. Music pours out of his insides instead of a gruesome guts. <laughs> All kinds of music too. Jazz, blues, country, rhythm and blues, rock and roll, and of course, Tex-Mex. This guy must be from Austin, the medical examiner mutters, revealing his astute knowledge of the American music scene, which is hopefully matched by his cutting skills. I mean, 
Wow. Yeah. Did you write that? No. That, that was a uh, uh, time member's name. Well, it should have his name at the, at the end, but I have a CD here. And he's a guy that plays uh, a rake, like you rake leaves. But he's also a writer. And uh, I think, you know, growing up in Texas, so you have all this cultural differences of music. And that's how I grew up in San Antonio. And, and as a kid, my mom had the bar. And so my adopted mom and and so she said she had a mexican conjunto band playing there now you probably don't know what i when i when i say do you know what i'm talking about when i say conjunto there's a difference between conjunto and tejano and tejano is is it's just not it's different they have synthesizers some did some play tubas or they were electric drums and where conjunto is more traditional mexican folk music with the, the accordion and the bajo sexto which is the big guitar you know and my mom had this band playing there, and that's how I became a musician, because I lived in the back. And when the musicians left at night, they left their instruments there. And so I was like this little kid. I went and messed around with the instruments, stuff, never realizing that I might get really hooked on this thing, you know. And that's what happened. And But that was the first kind of music I ever played. And the, the guy said, give this kid a set of maracas. You know, so they gave me the maracas, and I'm just shaking like that. And there was a house drummer. And my dear mom, she she said, you know, I, I'm going to value this this kid. He wants to sell his drum. So she bought me this little drum set for $75. So when I think about it, when my mom bought me that little red sparkle Ludwig drum set, I said, never would have dreamt that someday I'd be playing for the president of the United States. <laughs> and I'd play for Bill Clinton's inauguration, the first one. You know, I mean, us and wow. several other bands later, you know. Well, my mom, she never saw that. She passed away before all that happened. But I, it was just a, a dream kind of thing, you know. Uh, and then uh, I started figuring out who these drummers were. Well, they were like jazz drummers. Then I discovered blues music. And so I kept thinking, I have to find something more exciting than the music that I'm playing right now, this, this Mexican polka music, which is conjunto. Because I'm never going to get out of the barrio with this stuff, you know. i got to have to do something more exciting. I want something more challenging. And that's, that was just something inside of me that, that kept pushing and took. And then mom said, I want you to take piano lessons. So I, I learned how to play piano and stuff like that, you know, and I started discovering different styles of music. And so that's how I grew up. And uh, I grew up playing with Doug Song. He's the guy that created the Texas Tornadoes, you know, and anyway, it goes on and on. Is Doug Song the guy who went to hate Ashbury and invited you, and you went to Chicago. Yes. That was on your website, yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, a time that uh, back in uh, 1962 when I was playing with the Black Band, and we were on our way to to uh, play Juneteenth celebration in Weimar, Texas. And the leader of the band said, we'll, we'll see you in Weimar, and, and Henry's going to ride with you. Well, Henry was the only guy in the, in the band. He was the only white guy in the band, you know, so... I said, sure, fine. So, and I had my little low rider 55 Chevy, you know, and, and had, had a flat top with grease all over, you know, it's like the old day. I was a total, what you call a vato, you know, and we're, we're and, and you know, if you speak Spanish, you know what I mean? So we're going down the highway, you know, and, and then he, he like pulls out a joint. He goes, hey man, he goes, you ought to try this. You know, I'm going, I don't know. I've never done that before. I was like 18 years old or 19, something like that. And, and he said, yeah, and so he hands me this joint, and, 
and I'm driving down a highway and then all of a sudden there's the DPS cops, you know, <laughs> and got pulled over and searched and boom, I ended up in jail like for four days. That, that is was a scary. really bad luck. Is really I, was, bad luck. I was never so scared in my life because oh. I, they had me in there with two other guys. And I don't, the worst part is having to call my mom. Oh. Mom, <laughs> come bail me out. You know. What did oh. she say? Oh, she wasn't happy about it. Oh, I'm sure no. not. She was not happy. <laughs> no, no. And I, I was so scared. And was, yeah. And after that, some of my other relatives, they got really weird because about me, they, they, they said, Oh, yeah, he's just a wandering mystical pothead drummer. You know, they wouldn't be like, they sort of, I felt like I got dis disowned by them. And then one day, I was on Saturday Night Live. He's my cousin. We're related to him. <laughs> oh, have the tides turned. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of to spin off on that, because you mentioned it when we first spoke just about your passion for playing all those different kinds of music and playing the different yeah. genres. Um, what do you believe it's taught you about yourself or what have you taken away from those experiences working with the different genres? You, you started with the conjunto and Tejano styles that kind of catapulted your career yeah. and then moved into, you know, blues and soul riffs with Delbert McClinton. And then now you, I saw that, you know, jazz has come to the forefront of some of the things that you've been playing can you talk a little bit about that wave and yeah, it's called what you've learned from it? Survival. You learn as much as you can so that when your phone rings, it could be a country western guy calling you, or it could be a jazz guy calling you, it could be a blues guy calling. In other words, you're going to work a lot more if you know more about what you're doing with your instrument and you know learn the different genres of music. Plus, it was it's the way I love music. I just love music. Period. Music is a universal language. You know, and every time, like if I went to Europe and stuff, I'm talking about Cape Iso. I walked in a place in, in, in Holland. These Dutch guys were singing Cape Iso in Dutch, oh you know, gosh. and I recognized the tune right away. Okay, cool, you know. And then same thing in Germany. You know, all these places, because such a, that was such a big, funny song because little kids to grown up, everybody loves that song. But it's like a novelty tune or something, you know. But uh, so, yeah, it, it was kind of like uh it's, it was my love for music, period, you know, and, and it is universal language. I could go to these countries and I can't speak their language, but through music, we were connected. I just love playing all the different styles because survival, yes, it kept me working more, but also made me happy. And that's why my show that I do on Tuesdays, it's always different, it's different genres, you know, from blues to jazz to country like I've been doing all my life, just playing different genres all the time. And for a long time, I thought I was a jazz snob because I turned into that. And then I realized, like, no, uh -uh. I, I, I like this. I like, and I still like conjunto music because that's always that's the roots. You're always going to go back to your roots. Right. You know, yeah, that speaks a lot to what it's taken to be a professional musician for exactly. 60 plus years is yes. that you have that adaptability and flexibility and drive to not limit yourself into one corner. Well, That's you know, when you mentioned that the duck said, you know, he was out in head Ashbury, he was hanging out with Jerry Garcia. It's like those guys that they were probably doing LSD and all the crazy stuff that was going on in the sixties. And I had just been in jail and out and thinking, well, I can't, first of all, he's calling me. I can't leave Texas because I have a court hearing. I have to go to somehow I had this lawyer. He went in there and whatever he did, they never even bothered calling me back the court but it took about 
you know, maybe statute of limitations or something, seven or eight years. That's when I decided I'm going to get out of Texas, period, because it's just it's just too crazy here. And I left and I went up to the Midwest and, and I ended up in, in the Quad Cities like Moline, Rock Island, Illinois. For I stayed there for about four or five years. Well, I was on tour. I was on tour with a with a, a show band, like a Holiday Inn kind of band, you know. And we were playing all these hotels and we're down in Florida and all these places. And and then we ended up in, in Moline and the band sort of kind of fell apart there. And I ended up living at the YMCA in Rock Island, Illinois. I remember I had this tiny little room, you know, and I just stayed there. And then pretty soon somebody hired me for some gigs and started playing there. And but, and then I just said, you know what, I've, I've got to go to Chicago. And I did. And, and when I sit here and I think, God, I can't believe I did that. And then I went there and I spent five years. And, and then I met Roy Knapp, my teacher, who was the most, he taught these guys. He taught, those are his two most famous students, Gene Krupa and, and Hal Blank. And then I, I became a student, and next thing I knew, I was playing on the 95th floor of the Hancock Building in Chicago. Had you met them prior, or did you meet him, or did you seek out no, him met, as a I teacher? I because we, later on, we, we figured out that we had both studied with Roy Knapp. See, he studied with Roy in the 40s, okay. and I studied with Roy in the 70s. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to add on to that question. So you've talked about these people. So clearly Roy Knapp influenced you greatly in your journey. Who are the influences that just from hearing you talk, I'd say maybe your mom was one of Mm -hmm. them. Who were those people that like stick out to you? And and what were those moments that stick out to you? Well, my mom was my biggest supporter. And then uh, influences, I started watching musicians we didn't have YouTube back there when I was growing up, you know, but but I had albums and I could sit there and, and I could just spin the album and I could do it really slow speed and I could see, kind of hear what they were playing. And so a lot of my stuff was self-taught, but because I was playing by ear and I was playing by feel, really didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that it felt well, it felt really good. But when I went and studied with Roy in Chicago, then he taught me the counting and the reading of the notes, and it made more sense to me because then it, I was able to see what I was playing. So, so before I was like a blind person. And my dad had told me, he said, whatever you decide to do, try to be as the best as you can at it, and go for it, and just just really work hard, and do do the best you can, you know. And I just a lot of things with me is I I, I uh, follow my heart, you know. I follow it. Just, okay, this is what I feel like I need to be doing, or, you know. And it wasn't always easy. It, it was a struggle. I mean, it was a huge struggle. I mean, there were times when I sit in a line with, in, in a food stand line, mm-hmm. trying to feed two kids. You know, I was a bachelor father. Taught really rough times. Really nice now. So much better. Yeah. 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 But and you know, and I'm glad I went through the struggle because now I really appreciate what I have. Right. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really makes me appreciate everything that that's going on in my life right now. And uh, but like I said, all this stuff, like, well, maybe I died and didn't even know I died. I'm getting all these things, you know, <laughs> accolades. And- <laughs> yeah, the accolades. I'm going, but you're not nice. done. You're not done. You're like, not Why done. are you giving me these? Like, I'm not done. <laughs> I know I'm not done at all. And, and you know, I, I'm really lucky that uh, that I'm still people go, yeah, you can't be 80. And I just had lunch with with with, this, with Todd Zuckerman. He's Two days ago, I had lunch with him. And he's a drummer for Sticks. You know, wow. he says, this guy is a phenomenal, phenomenal drummer. And I was so honored to just have lunch with him on Wednesday. 
I'm, it's you, the thing about drummers that all have this brotherhood thing, you know. You have story upon story. I feel like every time you talk about somebody from your life, there's this tremendous experience or, that you've had, yeah, which... That's why I did that. To just capture it all. People, he's people, referring to his book listeners. He's he's right. pulled out his autobiography, which has pictures from his life and and tells yeah. a lot about the history of his professional career. It's me and my mom Aww. after my piano concert. Virginia Drawa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, we're sitting here off of Ernie's kitchen and spent the first 15 minutes going through pictures from his life and stories of his life that are pasted up on the walls. Anne and I were curious about some of those moments that you just never forget. Like you mentioned playing for Bill Clinton's inaugural um, celebration or um, the times that you've been on SNL and meeting Belushi. Could you talk to some of those crazy or haunting stories, funny stories from your life that maybe just would bring some joy to the listeners? The thing with the when I was playing with Delbert McClinton, he's actually the guy that pretty much saved me because I was, you know, it was, it was a rough time. I was having a rough time here in Austin. And then one day I was playing a gig with Doug Som, and the bass player is a guy named Chris Etheridge. He was the bass player for a band called the Flying Burrito Brothers. So he said, Ernie, he said, Delbert McClinton is playing across town, and I heard he's looking for a bass player and a drummer, so we should go talk to him, you know. He introduced me to Delbert and... And he, he said, yeah, I'm looking for a drummer and, and a bass player. And then, well, get up and play. So I get up and played. At the end of the set, he's, he looked at me and he said, I think we can make each other rich. <laughs> that is it. Well, that sounds really good to me because I'm broke. So, you know. <laughs> and so he got it. We exchanged numbers. And, and then he took off. And I didn't hear for a month, two months, three about third month, he called me back. He said, I'm coming back to Austin. Do you want to play with us again? Sure. So I played with him again. And then that's when he said, do you want to go on the road with us and tour? I said, yeah. So I had to get a nanny to stay with the boys. And, and <clears throat> off we went. But it was an amazing band. It was incredible. And there's a picture of that man in here. And we got to New York. And it's a place called Lone Star Cafe. And I looked out in the audience. <clears throat> and Bette Midler was in the audience. Uh, John Belushi was in the audience, and I'm not sure it was Mick Jagger, but it was so many. Oh, Joe Ely was there. Uh, what's his name that did the wrote Margaritaville? Oh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett. Buffett? Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett was in the audience. They were all there. They had come to hear us because they heard this band was really a smoking band. Anyway, and, and then Dan Aykroyd. So then, then John, John Belushi comes up, and he. He's got a harmonica, and he he gets up on stage, and all these guys are up on stage. He got me played with this, and and on the break, I went and I, and he was sitting at a table next to me, and and I looked at him, and, and I didn't know who he was. I said, "You sounded really good. Do you have a band here in town?" And he looked at me, and goes, "Yeah, yeah, I have a band." And this other guy nudged me, and he said, "That's John Belushi from Saturday Night Live." <laughs> oh, I didn't know him. I've never seen this guy before, you know. <laughs> So uh, we got invited at that time to, to go to the show. So we went and 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 I met uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Joe Piscopo, all the er, the older cast of, of SNL. And then when you started staying put, then you were playing locally at that point. So you were playing with Delbert McClinton, yeah. and then 
came back, kind yeah. of got off the road. and Yeah, I came back. It's really funny because I came back. There was no Austin Chronicle, so I put an ad in a green sheet for drum lessons. All of a sudden, this gorgeous, most beautiful woman answered my ad. She came over and she, you know, she, she called me and she said, I want to take drum lessons. I saw your ad. I said, sure, come on. So she came and took a lesson for me. And then she looked at me and I had this little pocket Bible on my desk. And she said, is that your Bible? I said, yes. Where do you go to church? I said, well, right now, nowhere, because I've been traveling. I've been on a road. I just got home. And she, and so she said, will you go to church with me? Yeah, I go. I go to church with you, sure. <laughs> I'd go anywhere with you. <laughs> yeah. And I went. I went to the church, and it was fun, you know. So, and then the word kind of got around that I was a drummer. And so the next thing I go, I say, Ooh, would you like to play in the church band? So I ended up playing church services every week. And I kept looking at this cute little girl in the audience. And I'd just been invited to uh, go to a party at Willie Nelson's studio. It was a big, big party. So I said, I'm going to talk to that little girl and maybe maybe I can invite her. She can go with me to the party. So I went up there and I said, hi, I'm Ernie. And, and so she, yeah, I said, oh, you know, I said, hey, there's going to be this nice party at Willie Nelson's. And uh, would you like to go with me? She goes, Ooh. And I said, yeah, I'll go. I said, OK, well, and I still had a little bit of limo service. A friend of mine had a limo. I said, I'll send a limo out to get you. He goes, I'm not riding any limo. I'll take my own car. Said, well, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just uh, thought that you might want to ride in a limo. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> but then when she said that, that's how she was. That's probably why I fell in love with her. Because And then after that, you know, and that was who turned out to be my wife, Ginger. But it was hard because she, she it's, I don't think she liked me at first. And, and before she died, you know, she told me, she said, you know, Ernie, I, I'm really glad you didn't give up on me now, you know, because mm-hmm. I said, well, I, I just felt like you know, I just had to not do that because, uh, you know. And she was know. the same girl that invited you to church. No. Different. That was a different yeah, girl. No, no that, that was completely. I don't even know what happened. I just kind of <laughs> threw her off or something. As soon as you, you saw, saw Ginger. Ginger. <laughs> that was it. The congregation. You know? So, uh, yeah, that's how I met Ginger and, and at that church. It was kind of supposed to be, I suppose, you know. So then I had another kid come by for a lesson. So I said, what do you do? Where do you work at? He goes, I work for Austin Science Associates. I said, what's that? He said, we build spectrometers. Oh, cool. And then I don't know why I blurted it out. And I said, do you need any help there? You know, because I had no more gigs, you know, and I was just teaching. I was sort of kind of looking for some kind of job. About a week later, he called me. He said, hey, my boss said to come in for an interview. So I went. I go there, and I'm looking at all this stuff. And I said, oh, well, I'm not qualified for this. I certainly don't know. And he said, no, that's not what I'm going to hire you for. We need a guy to clean up the shop. So he gave me a broom. <laughs> You're hired. I'm like, Jesus, I was just on SNL. <laughs> now I'm a janitor. <laughs> yeah. All for the love of music. <laughs> right, exactly. So I got there and I started sweeping things. And then one day I came in there and he goes, Ernie, we're going to teach you how to build circuit boards. So then pretty soon I'm building these spectrometers. And the first time I plugged one in and it worked, I was like, wow, I did that? <laughs> it works. It really works. So I came in there one day and I said, 
uh, Bob, I have to go. I thought I'm going to Europe. And so he said, well, when you come back, you can, you can still work here. So that I lasted about 10 years doing that. And once I came back, it's funny because I was working there. And then when I came back, they were going, oh, a so-and-so call you for this gig. And here's the, they became like my secretary. The, the gal is like, oh, Ernie, uh, here's a message for you. So, you know, all of a sudden, like, they were like working for me. And like, and they started putting some of my stuff on their walls and stuff like I had here. And then one day, the, the music store opened up over here. So I went from making $7 an hour to $50 an hour teaching. And I and I had 40 students a week at one time. Oh, my gosh. And I'm still playing. And I was just wiped out from it. But that's where I was playing in, in teaching. And you have uh, a visitor. Yeah. That's, yeah. I told him. He comes here every day. He's, this is Barfield. He has a show at the Continental Club every Thursday. He's Barfield, the tyrant of funk. Oh, you know. I love funk. Yeah, well, he's, he's so great. Fun. He's a great. He's a great. Uh, hey, man. you know, doing podcasts with musicians, you never know what's going to happen. So <laughs> you never might know have a surprise gonna... guest with you today. Well, that's him right there. I'll <laughs> let him in. Can we stop it for a second? Yeah, sure, we yeah, we can pause it. We've talked a lot about like your musical history and these various stories from your history. You've been in this town for a heck of a long time and yes. seen a lot of evolution and growth. Yeah. What are you most excited or concerned about, not just for musicians, but just kind of in general being a resident of well, ATX? The cost of, uh, you know, fortunately, I don't have that problem uh, as far as rent. I was reading an article this morning about a lot of the musicians that are struggling to pay their rents in Austin because of the growth that's happened, because of all those new buildings and, and all these. Here, they're tearing down houses. And, and I've been offered for my house, you know, I paid 68000 for this house 30 years ago, and they're offering me five hundred, six hundred thousand 600000 for it now. Where am I going to go? I can't pay those rents anyway. But I read this article, these musicians had moved into Elgin or something because mm -hmm. they, they're starting their own thing. And some of them have left to San Marcos and the Lockhart. Early. And so unfortunately, I bought the house that I was renting. It's the best move I ever made because I, I would technically be homeless otherwise because I couldn't afford those kind of rents. I don't know where I go. I think musicians are still making the same amount of money today than they were 20 years ago. So that hasn't changed very much. You know, Hasn't I mean, my gig is a tip door gig, you know, mm. I mean, why should it be playing for tips? You know, but, you know, it's fortunately, so I don't rely on playing music anymore to survive because I've reached that age of all I got, all the perks that you get when you're over 65. Talk to us a little bit about the nonprofit work you do here in Austin. Well, uh, my birthday, it was at Antone's. And I think it was $20 at the door. Uh, I heard that we raised uh, almost two grand. But the money went for this organization called HOME, which stands for Housing Opportunities for Musicians and Entertainers. HOME. But it's only for musicians over 55 that had a lot to do with trying to, to really establish Austin as the live music capital of the world, which they call it. And they had a lot with laying the groundwork for that. And I basically, part of that, uh, unfortunately, I don't need Holmes help right now. I'm, I'm fortunate for that. But a lot of these people do. And, and so that money, you know, it helps them pay their rent, helps some of them move to certain places. It's just whatever they need, you know. And then 
when I turned 75, I did the same thing for HAM. Now, HAM is uh, Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. What did you mean when you said we were talking before the podcast and you said your um, home is a shelter for men? <laughs> oh, that's Were you going to ask that, Carrie? No, no. I was uh, thinking the same yeah, thing. Okay. I was planning. I was like, oh, I, I, we should talk about that yeah. during the podcast. But well, I'm so glad you asked. You guys are going to have to meet uh, my guitarist from New York, Morali Corio. We were sitting here one day watching the ball game. And it was just me and him. And, and all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door. It was barfing. We just saw. He comes in and he goes, oh, God, my wife just had a meltdown. Oh, can I, oh yeah, come on in, man. Just hang out with the boys here. We're watching the ball game. So we let him in, you know. And then another friend of mine, Dave, he comes over maybe 20 minutes later. He goes, oh, man, my wife just called me a bitch. <laughs> well, come on inside. I'm oh, sorry. It's <laughs> totally fine. Okay. And then, well, come on, sit down. We're watching the game with us. Okay. And then, then the phone rings and it's Morali and his wife calling from New York. She goes, Morali, the kids are just not listening to me. You know, when are you coming home? Well, honey, I got all these shows here. I can't, I can't get back yet. You know, so he hangs up. Well, Morali, you're fine. You're, you're the Ernie safe house for men here. You know, he goes, you know, I said, there's a song in there somewhere. So I have it on here, and I can play it for you now or after we're done. Well, let's hear. Can I hear a little snippet? A little clip, yeah. A little clip. Okay. Well, while we're talking, because it's going to take me a minute to find it, so just just keep asking questions, and I'll try to look for it while we're doing this. (laughs) This is great. We're going to get an exclusive, listeners. Yeah. You know, we're about to head into lightning round questions with Anne, but I'd say one of the things we were curious about. You've made a successful lifetime career as a musician. You provided your perspectives and all sorts of facets about the city and about your your life. But what advice would you give to new or struggling musicians about building a career in music? I think it's a little harder now than it was when I was growing up. But in an, in, a, in another sense, the musicians today have the resources that we didn't have. You know, like the biggest one is YouTube. Mm. You can teach yourself so much of YouTube. You can go to any subject on YouTube. We didn't have Google. We could Google things and read about things. You know, that was all self-educate yourself. But it also depends on what kind of drive do these certain people have? I mean, not everybody has a that kind of drive. We're all individuals. So mm-hmm. if you have that kind of drive and, and, and it's good if you want to find a teacher and, and at least learn the fundamentals of, of what, you, what you're trying to do. And, and, and then the bottom line is work really hard at it. And, and if it becomes a passion, like for me, it's been a passion. You know, if I couldn't play music, uh, I, I would probably die or something. You know, I would, I would just, it would be the end of it because it's it's kind of like music for me. It's like it's the blood in my my system, you know. Um, yeah, you don't have gruesome guts inside. You have music, according to the <laughs> your website. Yeah, I know. I used to tell my wife. I said she said something with that plumbing. I said, Mom. I said, Honey, I'm a I'm a drummer, not a plumber. You know? <laughs> I have to always call somebody. Call the plumber. I said, well, they make more than the drummers. <laughs> Do, yeah. <laughs> They're not having as much fun though. 
You know, that's true. Yeah, the drum, the drummers. Uh, yeah, we we have a few perks like girlfriends. <laughs> we, uh, 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 groupies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, think they're no groupies for, for plumbers. No, no. no, no groupies for plumbers. <laughs> I'm still looking for that song. Maybe there's there. a song in there. Yeah. there. Actually, there might be a song in there. There probably is. <laughs> yeah. As you look for the song, I'm going to give you our lightning round. So at the end okay. of our episodes, we ask our story partners a few lightning round questions yeah. about their favorite local experiences okay. here yeah. in Austin. So I'm just going to go. It's really fast. You just say one or two words to each one. And um, this one should be a layup for you. Favorite music venue. El Mercado. Favorite breakfast taco? Uh, potato and egg and cheese. But from where? Oh, oh, I'm surrounded by all these little taco trucks in my neighborhood, but there's a place called Mammy's at Mancheca in uh, Matthew at, at that gas station next to the post office. And I'm going to ask you this. Do you have a favorite Mexican restaurant? Yes. Tex-Mex? Yes. What is it? El Borrego de Oro. What do you like to get there? Uh, I get to get the uh, the enchiladas uh, verdes, and it comes with the crispy taco. It's kind of like a combo combination. Best hidden gem. There's a place on Lamar called Planet K, and in that, if you've never seen that, you must see this. On the wall is a wall of photographs of all the musicians, the people that, including my wife that have passed away, that played here in Austin. You can drive, you don't even have to get out of your car. You can you can drive in your car and you can see photo, it's a whole line of photos of, of Janis Joplin's pictures up there, all these people, some Texas musicians, but most of them are Austin musicians that passed away in Austin that were playing music here. So it's a must for you to go see that. Amazing. Um, and lastly, your advice for newcomers to Austin. I think it's a great place. People, I ask that question to a lot of people I go, that had moved here. I say, what do you like about Austin? And I think, oh, I love Austin. I love I love the food. I love the music. But it's really, that's what people say. They always say, you know, oh, I love Austin City Limits Festival. A lot, a lot of musical history in Austin. I, I I don't know. I know, Anne, I could speak for both of us, but I've loved all of these tidbits and stories, Ernie. I mean, for newbies to Austin or for longtime Austinites, I think it's been it's been fun to hear your your stories. Listeners, you can find Ernie in residency at Darawa Tuesdays at El Mercado on South First Mm -hmm. every Tuesday evening at 630 he had mentioned he has guest performers every week. They're come from different genres. So it's a great chance to listen to new music and Ernie's still producing. You can download his music on all music streaming platforms as well. Um, his book, Ernie Darawa, the story of a legendary Texas drummer and autobiography is uh, available on your website. If they contact you my, yes. for a copy on my website. Yes. Okay. I found uh, this, the tune. Wonderful. We'll close out then and we can listen to a little bit of it. And if you love music, if you're looking for a way to give back the organizations that Ernie had mentioned earlier that he's really passionate about, home, that's housing opportunities for musicians and entertainers. There's Ham, there's Sims is another one. Yes, but that's a good one. Yeah, all three are great organizations to support um, musicians. They provide great resources for local musicians. So take a look at those. And um, thanks for being so generous. 
with your time. We've had yeah. a really good time. And this is the first time, Ernie, that we've interviewed somebody in their home. Yeah. We're usually remote. We get to yeah. see them while yeah. we're recording, but yeah. this was extra special. I know yeah. for me, Absolutely. it was extra yeah. special. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, well, I'm glad to meet you. Yeah, yeah, it was a happenstance kind of. It didn't, we didn't start this way, listeners, but we ended this way and it's a gift. I echo everything Carrie said. It has been an absolute gift and joy to, to spend some time with you today. Thank you. I'm going to take us out with this tune. What is it called? Ernie's Safe House for Men. (laughs) And make sure you listen to the lyrics closely, okay? Okay. Put the volume up. folks uh we just wrapped up our interview with ernie and carrie and i are in the car because doing the outro in front of somebody in their home felt a little weird so (laughs) yeah (laughs) here we are um carrie what did you think of that interview i just love ernie he's the kind of guy you just want to like grab in a bear hug he's honest and authentic and i you know you always build up these views of who you're going to meet when somebody tells you. And I had had a phone call with him, but he truly just is him is just the real deal. And, um, and a true musician, a a working musician and, you know, really lives up to that definition. Um, the other thing that was really awesome to me was just the intimate experience of being in the same room. We've done all these recordings virtually and, I thought that was really cool because we had um, Mike Barfield. Yes. yes. Yeah, he came the into the room. of funk. <laughs> yes, from the Continental Club. at the Continental Club. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he, I, I love funk. So I was telling Anne, I was like, oh man, as soon as he told us that he plays there, I was like, okay, we're going. Because I love soul funk. So yeah. that, that really stuck out to me too. But Ernie's just like the sweetest so yeah it was pretty fun Mike just pulled up in the driveway while we were in the middle of the interview and he came in and Ernie introduced us and um they go on a two-mile walk every day which I think is so (laughs) so so sweet um Ernie as we were walking out he has this great embroidered uh piece right by his door that says Ernie's safe house for men and uh we you know we had a chuckle about that it's funny, yeah. and he's a drummer. I mean, he he could not sit at a table without putting things in his hand and trying to move them around. You know, it was really, it was interesting to see that. Like it is, it is, it is a complete um, mind body situation. His, totally, his drummerness. Yeah, the kinesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, learning style. Yeah. I mean, he. Um, yeah, you'll you might even hear it. In the you background. might even hear it. And and I will just say. You know, I'm really grateful for his generosity, sharing his time, opening his home, being, uh-huh. you know, generous with his stories. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, it was really great. So thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did. And I hope you'll go see Ernie play 
at El Mercado yes. on Tuesday nights. Yeah. Um, it's really funny as a different musician every time. So the, the, the style of the music changes and he really is a fantastic drummer. Yep. You've got to see him. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find Under the Moon Tower episodes at underthemoontower.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Instagram at Under the Moon Tower or shoot us an email with any questions or feedback at underthemoontower at gmail.com. And special thanks to Brandon Burke for production on our podcast. See you next time.